Good morning, everyone. Good morning to all those who are joining us online, especially our Darwin family. Good to have you guys online and others as well. I think there's Emma also who's online. Blessings to all of you as you watch. We are in the middle of a series called, what was it? Who can tell me? Well done, well done, Jesus, more than you know. And today we'll be looking at another aspect of Jesus' incredible ministry and his life. We're hoping that with this series you will begin to see and appreciate and even fall in love again with Jesus as you begin to see different aspects of his life and what he did and just realize what an incredible Savior Jesus was and that so many different aspects and facets of his life that sometimes we don't appreciate enough of. Shall we pray before we start? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the joy of being able to share this time together, Father, to be in your presence, Father. And I pray that as we open your word, that you will continue to speak to us, Father, that you will continue to remind us of this incredible privilege we have of being called sons and daughters of the Most High God and the incredible blessing it is that we can be to others around us as a result of the life we have in us. So, Father, bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, speaking about teachers, this teacher says, Jimmy, you know you can't sleep in my class. I know, but maybe if you were just a little quieter, I could. <laughs> teacher says to Jimmy, you missed school yesterday, didn't you? To be honest, not really. <laughs> Student asked the teacher, would you punish me for something I did not do? Of course I would not do that. Great, because I did not do my homework. <laughs> I reckon that's enough. <laughs> it's good. You guys are at least laughing. First service was a bit tough, eh? <laughs> they didn't laugh, because <laughs> I didn't say any jokes, yeah? That was the problem. <laughs> I grew up in a family of teachers, so my dad and mom were both teachers, and, uh, and it was a privilege because um, they taught for almost 30 years in this amazing, beautiful country called Nigeria in West Africa. Do I have any Nijas in the room? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah, my brothers and sisters. Oh, welcome. That's a surprise. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you guys. <laughs> so that's where I was born. And one of, the, one of the incredible things about being in a teacher's family is that you get to hear all the stories about what's happening in school and, you know, the heartbreak of kids who are not doing too well and the joy of kids who are doing amazingly well and the ones who have picked up. And, and so that was what we were constantly our our conversation <laughs> mom and dad talking about these things and then us helping them out when it was time for marking all the exam papers and we would help them read out the marks so they could tabulate everything. And so it was just part of our lives. And um, but one of the greatest joys my mom always shares is that uh, a few years ago, after my dad passed away, she managed to go away for a journey, uh, uh, a trip to, which was the sort of a dream of her lifetime to go to Israel. And so she went with another friend of hers who had also been a teacher in Nigeria. And as they were in, in Jerusalem, I think somewhere, in the hotel lobby, 
they saw this big contingent of people coming in and they looked like they were Africans. They were not sure whether they were from Nigeria. And so my mother's friend went up to them and said, uh, are you guys from Nigeria by any chance? And they said, yes, we are from Nigeria. So she said, oh, look, we were both teachers in Nigeria. And uh, one of them who was in the delegate, delegation, he says, um, I don't know if you know, there was a, there was a Mrs. Koshi who used to teach and, 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 and she was my best teacher. <laughs> and this friend says, you know what? That's Mrs. Koshi sitting just over there. Figure that out in Jerusalem, right? And so anyway, he comes over to mom and he's now one of the ministers for agriculture or something. And they have this wonderful conversation. And honestly, my mom was so excited that this was somebody she had taught. And then to see what the effect of that was many years later, and the fact that he had done so well with his life just brought her so much joy. Wherever she goes, she will tell this story now. But that is just what happens, you know, as a teacher, when you are teaching someone, you're expecting and hoping that part of what you teach them is going to change and affect their lives and for the better, and that they become successful in everything that they do, right? I think that's part of what you would expect as a teacher. Jesus was an amazing teacher probably one of the greatest teachers ever. And, you know, we know him as Lord, Savior, Master, Redeemer. But there's an amazing fact also, the fact that out of 90 times that Jesus is addressed in the Gospels directly, 60 times he was called teacher. This was the word the multitudes used as well to describe him. This is how the disciples referred to him. In fact, Jesus himself <laughs> refers to himself as teacher, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And even Nicodemus, the, the great teacher, came to him and said, uh, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And, you know, we know that Jesus had his disciples. He taught in so many different settings. He, he spoke in the villages. He spoke in cities. He even spoke sitting off a boat at one stage, you know. He debated with other people. He was questioned about legal disputes. And he used all kinds of techniques to, to aid his teaching. And, you know, people were so enthralled by his teaching that sometimes they even simply forgot to eat. Imagine that. Amazing. Yeah. But, you know, what made Jesus' teaching unique was not only that he taught, but he also lived what he taught. And that was just incredible about how he, he taught. Now, there were so many techniques he, he used, but I'm not going to talk about that. We, that will be a whole new sermon on, on the ways Jesus taught. But was he successful as a teacher, is the question. You know, he definitely spoke and taught multitudes of people, but he also invested the greatest amount of time and teaching into his disciples. This little crew of 11, 12 disciples, he spent time in, uh, ministering to them and teaching them. From that little crew of 11 or 12, today, just as Janet reminded us last time she spoke, there are now about 2.38 billion Christians across the world. Isn't that incredible? From 11. So more than ever before, you know, now we are seeing that the teaching of Jesus is going out across the world through different formats and this incredible revolution of grace and mercy and kindness that, that, that personifies the kingdom of God that Jesus taught and lived out, that is what we're seeing going out across the, 
across the globe, and we are seeing a revolution. People may tell you, oh, the church is not growing, the church is, is, is going down, the numbers are going down, but no. The, the, the move of the Spirit is incredible, and we are hearing stories of, of incredible moves of the, of the Word of God going out across the world and touching the lives of people and causing people to come to the Lord. Amazing. So what are some aspects of Jesus' teaching and the way he taught that I think are remarkable? And, and I think we'll just look at three. There are so many aspects, but we'll just look at three. Can we go to the next slide, please? I think one of the greatest things is that Jesus taught with authority. And, you know, it says in Mark chapter 1, 21 to 22, I think the verse is in the back, it says, then Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and he immediately started teaching on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. The people were awestruck by his teaching because he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority, which was quite unlike the religious scholars in some things. It says he taught with such great authority. And you know, there are so many references to the time Jesus would take to sit down and teach. You know, we, we read in the Gospel of Mark, and I think even when Emily was sharing and others sharing about the Gospel of Mark, about how it's a fast-paced, frenetic pace in the Gospel. It's almost as though Mark is trying to get this whole story of Jesus out in just the 16 or so chapters, and he wants people to, 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 to just follow the story as it goes from one thing to another, and he keeps using the word immediately, immediately, immediately. There's a sort of a, a hurrying pace to what he's talking about. And yet, as you read the Gospel of Mark, there will be multiple references to when Jesus is confronted with a multitude of people, large numbers of people coming to him. And you know what he would do? He would stop and he would teach. Just slow down the pace of everything. And because this was what I feel was a significantly integral, important part of his ministry, much more important than the healings that he did, the miracles that we did, which were important, no doubt. But the teaching was something that he was so invested in. And I think he knew when we teach and when people listen and the Spirit of God takes that word in and it begins to transform the way we think and our mindsets, then you are changing the destiny and the future of a person for all eternity. And that can happen as people begin to accept the teaching of Jesus into their lives. And, and he knew how important that teaching was. And so he spent a lot of time teaching not only the multitudes and the crowds, but also those disciples of his. Took a lot of time to teach them. So he taught with authority. And why did he teach with authority? Because he had authority. Who else but Jesus? The divine message that he had, the very son of God. If he didn't have that authority, who would? But he taught with authority. And he wasn't just quoting things that people had said or anything. He was actually speaking the very word of God that, that he knew. He himself is called the very word of God, isn't he? And he speaks that out to them. He taught with authority because he knew what he was talking about. Yeah? You have people who don't know what they're talking about and can speak for ages? Oh, believe me, I've had some, a few people like that. They'll, they can talk for ages and you think, what was he talking about all this time, you know? But this is Jesus who knew what he was talking about. And you can't teach with authority if you aren't familiar with what you are talking about. 
And Jesus taught with authority because he believed what he thought and he knew the power of what he thought, what he taught. And so when he believed what he, when you believe what you teach, it will come through to your audience with authority. In contrast, you know, until now, all those people were used to listening to the Pharisees and the scribes and others, and, and, and there was a difference about them. First of all, they, they liked to lord things over the people they were teaching because they believed they were superior, you know? And so they, they, these were people who loved places of honor. They loved to be honored, and so when they came to teach, it was like they were doing you this massive favor by even deigning to teach you and, and show you stuff that needed to happen. But Jesus, he would just change that whole concept, turn it around on its head as to what a teacher was meant to be, what a teacher and master is meant to be. He would turn the whole concept around that the master had to become the servant. And his authority came from a place, listen to this, his authority came from a place of submission and humility. Submission and humility to get authority. Figure that one out. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, he, Jesus talks about this. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we see the ultimate examples of humility and submission of Jesus. Ultimate examples in the next slide, please. Two, I think, incredibly pivotal passages. First one from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. What greater passage will describe the submission of Jesus and the humility that he showed in choosing to give all that he had, all his authority, to come down to the world as a man. But the other beautiful, beautiful passage is when he is about to uh, wash the feet of the disciples. And I love the way that passage starts. Now, Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer robe, and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. The master of all, 
the teacher of the disciples, giving them this ultimate example of what it meant to be a servant to those you minister to. Amen? Incredible. But Jesus also, when he was teaching, he was teaching being in submission to the Father. Can we go to the next slide, please? As you know, in John 8, 28 to 29, it says, You will know me as I am after you have lifted me up from the earth as the Son of Man. Then you will realize that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I only speak the truth that the Father has revealed to me. I am his messenger, and he is always with me, for I only do what, that which delights his heart. What an act of submission to God the Father, that I will not do anything else other than what you ask me to, and I will only do that which delights your heart, my Father. Having left all his authority in heaven, comes down, submits himself in the form of a man, decides, I will submit myself to the will of the Father. But how does he know the will of the Father? How does he, how does he continue to maintain the submission to the Father? I believe that happens because he had such an intimate, close relationship with him. And a close, intimate relationship can only occur and continue if we continue to spend time with those with whom we love. And Jesus did spend time. You think, why Jesus? one of the Trinity, yet he spent time with the Father. He made time to spend with the Father, made time. You know, in Mark 1, 32 to 35, it talks about this passage where Jesus has been spending a lot of time healing people. It says, later in the day, just after the Sabbath ended at sunset, at sunset, the people kept bringing to Jesus all who were sick and tormented by demons until the whole village was crowded around the house. And it says, Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. But he would not permit the demons, demons to speak because they knew who he really was. But then it says, the next morning, Jesus got up long before daylight, left the house while it was dark, and made his way to a secluded place to give himself to prayer, to give himself to communion, to give himself to speaking to the Father. Do you see that? It was at sunset that all the crowd began to gather. And I can imagine how late in the evening it would have been by the time Jesus finishes healing and teaching and, preach and, and, and doing these miracles and all these people who are sick and needed to be touched. And yet, he understood that there was something that was vital, vital, and that was time spent with the Father. And that time he could get only if he got up early, and if he went away to a secluded spot so he wasn't disturbed by other people, but that was the priority he placed on spending time with the Father. Jesus made that his priority. What about us? That was how he maintained that intimate relationship with the Father, and that's why the Father was willing and happy to just give all authority to Jesus. The next thing I want to talk about, so Jesus spoke from a position of authority and he taught with that authority, but also I believe Jesus taught with authenticity. The next slide. Jesus was, he's described as the word of God. He more than anyone else would know what was written in the law and he would be the one who was ideal to be speaking about the law and the commandments. But he also knew that the Pharisees and the scribes 
with the way they were they were doing things and with their rules and their traditions and their and their and and the stuff they had added their oral tradition that they had added burden after burden onto the people to keep the law making it and this is how Jesus describes them in Matthew 23:2-4 he says you can practice and obey whatever they tell you but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden and that's why in mark 7 they've come up to jesus and they are asking this this weird question about this age old traditions that your disciples don't live by they should ceremonially wash their hands before eating you know and jesus replies you hypocrites How accurately did Isaiah prophesy about Euphonies when he said these people honor me with their words while their hearts run far away from me their worship is nothing more than a charade for they continue to insist that their man-made traditions are equal to the instructions of God you abandon God's commandments just to keep men's rituals such as ceremonially washing utensils cups and other things then he added how skillful you've become in rejecting god's law in order to maintain your man-made set of rules what a telling thing he's he's bringing up and you know why he's saying this i asked this question in the last service and i only got one person to answer how many commandments are there oh well done good is that you peter you were listening you listen you heard in the first service good you're listening 10 commandments right but do you know that there were over 600 rules instituted by the scribes and the pharisees to help the jews follow the 10 commandments over 600 to help them follow the 10 commandments now let me read a little bit about this this oral law that we're talking about that the, the pharisees and the and the scribes were were responsible for in judaism at that time they honored the written law but there was also the oral law which was written down but was man's tradition and interpretation on top of the written law many jewish leaders of jesus time honored the oral law even more than the written law this rabbi eliezer said he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come the mishnah a collection of jewish traditions in the talmud records It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. Hmm. And the Jews, they have several ordinary sayings that show in what esteem they had these traditions. They said, and listen to this, if the scribes say our right hand is our left and our left hand is our right, we are to believe them. <laughs> there is more in the words of the scribes than the words of the law incredible it was jesus failure to support the validity of the oral law that made him such an object of concerted attacks by the scribes and the pharisees so what did jesus have to do he has he he was confronting this this whole huge set of 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 traditional rules that had been set up and and caused such a burden on the lives of people that they felt you know what this is almost as though and and they, and they lived in fear because what was the kind of idea that they were getting out of all these rules and laws that they had that we have this 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 vengeful terrifying god 
who is standing up there ready to smite us and, and, he is, and, and, and he is such an ogre because look at all these rules. It's almost impossible to follow all these 600 rules and you're walking around constantly thinking, have I just broken that rule? Have I broken this rule? What do I do now? What do I, it was, it was, I imagine it would have been such a burden to be able to live out a life as a Jew in those days and the Pharisees weren't helping one bit. But Jesus had to bring understanding. Let's go to the next slide, please. Jesus had to bring understanding for people to understand what the heart of God the Father really was like. What is he really like? What is the kingdom of God really about in contrast to this, this vision that they have of this vengeful, terrifying God that is portrayed by the Pharisees? And in describing that, he, 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 he has this passage where he's talking to the religious scholar, and, and it's just beautifully put. It says, when the religious scholar saw how beautifully Jesus answered all their questions, he posed one of his own and asked him, teacher, which commandment is the greatest of all? And Jesus answered him, the most important of all the commandments is this, the Lord Yahweh, our God is one. And you are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with a passionate heart, from the depths of your soul, with your every thought and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this, you must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. And the religious scholar replied, yes, that's true, teacher. You spoke beautifully when you said that God is one and that there is no one else beside him. And there is something more important to God than all the sacrifices and burnt offerings. It's the commandment to constantly love God with every passion of your heart, with every thought and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself. When Jesus noticed how thoughtfully and sincerely the man answered, he said, you know what? You're not far from the reality of God's kingdom. Hmm. We go to the next slide, please. So we've talked about the fact that Jesus had a, taught with authority. Jesus taught with authenticity because he knew what he was talking about and he wanted to change the mindset and the way people viewed God and, and help them understand what the kingdom of God is about. But then he also teaches with attentiveness because he is attentive to the needs of those he's ministering to. Their physical as well as their spiritual needs. In Mark 8, 1 to 3, it says, During those days, another massive crowd gathered to hear Jesus, and again, there was no food, and the people were hungry. So Jesus called his disciples to come near him, and he said to them, My heart goes out to this crowd, for they have already been here with me for three days with nothing to eat. I am concerned that if I send them home hungry, some may faint along the way, for many have come a long, long way just to be with me. He was concerned. He was concerned about their physical needs. He recognized that these were people who had not had anything to eat for three days maybe, but they were so enjoying the teaching that they had forgotten they were even hungry. But... He said, we have to meet that need. 
and he was willing to step into that place where he could meet the need and he was willing to do it. So it's not just about the spiritual needs of people, but when he saw a physical need as well, he stepped into it wanting to meet that need. But he was genuinely concerned about their spiritual needs as well. I mean, just look at this, Mark 6, 34, where it says, by the time Jesus came ashore, ashore, a massive crowd was waiting. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Massive, large crowds, just massive crowds of people. And at the sight of them, his heart was filled with compassion because they seemed like wandering sheep who had no shepherd. And so he taught them many wonderful things. He knew what the spiritual need of the nation was at the time. He could see that they needed to hear what the kingdom of heaven truly was like. And he understood that there was a deep, deep spiritual need. And he knew he had to meet that need as well. But you know what? Jesus is concerned about the needs of the majority, of the massive crowds. Isn't that incredible that he can have such an expansive heart that he's able to think about the needs of such a huge, massive crowd of people. He's able to think about that's how expansive the love and the heart of Jesus was. And yet, Jesus also is attentive to the soul of the individual person and the needs of the individual person. Just like Emily so beautifully put it, you know, there was a group of 130 who came here. And yet we talk about the one who was moved and changed or the few that, that had just such incredible strong uh, encounters with Jesus in the time they're here. That is important because Jesus, yes, he ministers to the thousands, but he also takes the time to minister to the individual and the little insignificant person. And I love this passage. And as I read it, there's one thing I want to bring out of it. It says, after Jesus left the coastland of Tyre, and came through Sidon on his way to Lake Galilee and over into the regions of Syria, some people brought to him a deaf man with a severe speech impediment. And they pleaded with Jesus to place his hands on him and heal him. So Jesus led him away from the crowd to a private spot. Now, he uses a special technique here, uh, which uh, he didn't use very often, but it was a special technique. Then he stuck his fingers into the man's ears and placed some of his saliva on the man's tongue. Then he gazed into heaven, sighed deeply, and spoke to the man's ears and tongues at Pathaka, which is Aramaic for open up now. At once the man's ears opened, and he could hear perfectly, and his tongue was untied, and he began to speak normally. Why do I bring that passage? There are multiple places where we, we read about Jesus ministering to the one, the leper, the, the blind man, and, and in all those instances where he's ministering to the individual. It's not just like a throwaway miracle. These were times when he ministered out of a position of knowing and understanding what the person is going through. And that's what makes Jesus' love for us so incredibly unique, that he understands our deepest pain. He knows it through and through. Did you see that he says, then he gazed into heaven, sighed deeply, and spoke to the man's ears and tongue. When we describe Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, this is what we're talking about. Behold, Jesus, exercising a ministry of full of healing power, 
But never forget that that was costly to him because he felt it deeply within him and it cost him something when he did that kind of those acts of healing. The sigh was an inward groan. It was a groan because this was Jesus who, as he's about to heal him, understands the power that sin has and, and the sickness has had on this man's life, what it has robbed him of and what he has not been able to experience all his life. He, in that instant, Jesus is able to feel the pain of what this man has been through, the fact that he has been unable to be part of normal society, the fact that he has been excluded from being part of temple worship, the fact that he has not been able to hold down a job, the fact that he's been considered an outcast, and maybe that he was a sinful man because he has this kind of an impediment in his life, and all of that, the pain and the suffering and the struggle this man has been through all his life, all of that Jesus feels deeply as he's about to heal him. And he senses the pain that he has been through. That inward groan, that sigh, was our Lord's compassionate response to the pain and the sorrow that sin has brought into the world. It is also, at the same time, a prayer to the Father on behalf of this handicapped man. A man of sorrows, of sorrows acquainted with grief. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, the word of God tells us, but who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And he's the one who is able to intercede on our behalf because he understands everything that we go through and he's able to intercede from that position of knowing and a position of compassion and position of, of, of mercy toward us. Jesus taught. He taught and people's lives were changed and transformed. What about now? What about now? He still continues to teach. If we are willing to learn from him. Shall we go to the next slide, please? Jesus continues to teach us today through his Holy Spirit. In John 16, 12 to 14, it says, There is so much more I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father, and he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on the earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. We have access to the Spirit of God right now, here. Every day of our lives, we have access to the Spirit of God who can teach us and who can teach us in exactly the same way Jesus taught and who can bring revelation and understanding to us if only we will allow him to. If only we will allow him to. Freely available. That same with the same authority that Jesus taught, with the same attentiveness, with the same authenticity, with all of that, the Spirit of God can continue to speak and teach us even today. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? Knowing that the Spirit of God is available to us, are we people who are willing to be taught? 
Are we people who are willing to learn? Are we people who are going to be like the disciples who having heard and been with Jesus and been transformed that a teaching that changed their whole mindsets and understanding of what God expected of them, they were then able to go out and minister to the world and bring a huge influence onto the, all of the rest, the known world. It is possible. That is the kind of power that is available and ready to us, even far greater than what the disciples had. A constant teacher, a continuing, never-ending presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. All the time, 24 hours a day. <laughs> Imagine how much more we are able to accomplish when we have that kind of teacher available to us. Shall we go to the next slide, please? In the light of this, can I ask you, what is your response? What is your response? Can we commit ourselves to a lifestyle of learning? But to commit ourselves to a lifestyle of learning, we need to learn to be submitted. We need to learn to be humble. And we need to learn to be teachable. Because if we aren't, it's hard for the Spirit of God to come into our hearts and to be able to change things in our lives. Those of us who have taught things to people know how difficult sometimes it can be. I work in anesthetics, and one of the big procedures that we have to do, or not, uh, a procedure we have to do that can be quite challenging at times is doing an epidural for a woman who is in labor about to give birth. Now, trying to teach someone how to do that can be a challenge. <laughs> so we go through all the theory. We tell them this is what you have to do. We explain everything to the person. And then the time comes and somebody's in labor and they say, look, quick, come, come. We, this lady needs uh, pain relief. Okay, so we go, we're going to do the epidural. So we will both do what we need to, scrub up, get ready. And I start teaching the person with me how to do it. Now, if that person, uh, and so my, my heart is in my, in my mouth most of the time because it is a, a procedure that has risks and you are entrusting someone with that uh, procedure knowing that the risk is on you as well as he does it or she does it. And so we work them through the procedure and we're holding their hand and we help them get through it and then we do it a few times with them until they get, uh, until they get proficient at it. But... If the person I'm teaching is humble and teachable, it's easy. They're willing to learn, they're willing to listen to what you say, and they will do what you tell them to do. But occasionally we'll get someone who's a little bit cocky. I know everything and I can do this and I have, uh, you know, I can do that. And they don't listen and they don't sort of follow the instructions as you give it to them. And honestly, that is the most challenging, nerve-wracking part of teaching that I'm involved in. And so sometimes we have to then tell them, pull your, pull, your, pull your ears in. Pull your head in. That's the one. Pull your head in. Pull your head in, buddy. And listen. Pull your head in and listen. I might have told them, pull your ears in as well. And pull the ear as well. That helps. That helps as well. Paul's advice to Timothy is incredible. Timothy is this young man. And he's about to take charge of, of a church and he would be in charge of multiple churches. And his, his advice to him 
And I would advise you to read the book of Timothy. It's just incredible because there's so much advice given to young people and, and, and to anyone who wants to grow. And part of the things he tells Timothy is read the book, study the scriptures, work it in, work it into your life, work it out, work it out, and then pass it on, pass it on. Paul's charge to Timothy is, you have heard me teach these things. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is what we want. So we learn. We commit to a lifestyle of learning. But that's not enough. We pass it on. And that's how people will change. That's how the kingdom of God begins to expand. Isn't that the heart of our church? That is the heart of our church. That is the heart of Pastor Ben. Why do you think he takes the time to organize these webinars and seminars where he's trying to teach people about studying the Word of God properly? There are so many things you can... So, there is so much available right now on the internet about, about, uh, uh, about studying the Word. Not all of it is right. Not all of it is good. That's why Pastor Ben is so passionate about teaching the right way, learning to study the right way, learning to understand what the kingdom of God is the right way. The church has so many resources available. And if you want to learn, there are so many resources that we can provide to help you learn. But the greatest resource you have is the Spirit of God in you, the greatest teacher ready to teach you. The Gospel of Mark, written by Mark, an interesting thing about Mark was he was a failure in ministry. He was a failure. In the book of Acts, we hear a little bit about that because he was on this missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And then at that missionary journey, he, for some reason, he abandoned that, that journey, abandoned the ministry that they were about to set off on. And that infuriated Paul infuriated him because I think he, he just felt that this guy, he can't, he won't, he shouldn't. And so the next time they went on a missionary journey, he said, there is no way we are taking Mark with us. No way. Barnabas said, no, I reckon we should. We should. Give him another chance. Paul said, no. And he was so adamant that they had a disagreement that was so bitter. <laughs> Those two apostles had to part ways and so one went one way, one went the other. And Barnabas took Mark with him. Now we know that Mark, a lot of what he's written in the gospel comes from eyewitness accounts that he received from Peter. And Peter shared so much with him. Peter had this great close relationship with Mark. And a lot of it he writes from that perspective of what Peter saw, experienced as an eyewitness. Peter was a failure. He had failed. He had denied Jesus. But he was restored by Jesus himself. When Jesus meets him on the shore that morning and Jesus restores him and forgives him for that, for that act of denial and brings him back into the kingdom and sends him off again assured that, that you will be this rock on which the church will continue to grow. Jesus restored Peter. But Barnabas restored Mark. 
Barnabas, a disciple who had been influenced by the teaching of Jesus, was able to show mercy and encouragement to one who had failed. That is the beautiful example of what teaching can can bring. When we learn from Jesus and we imbibe and take on the incredible uh, values of what the kingdom of heaven is like, the values of mercy, of kindness, of grace, of forgiveness, and you can in turn show that to someone you are dealing with, that's where you are now truly a disciple of Jesus who has been taught and influenced and moved in such a way that you can now influence and move another person. Shall we stand in the presence of God? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? You know, there may be people here in this auditorium today, this morning. You've been hearing about this Jesus and what an incredible teacher he is. And the kind of things that he taught about and and the value he placed on people, on the individual. The fact that Jesus is able to understand us in our deepest, darkest places. And he's able to come into those places and he's able to bring hope and life. If you have never, in this auditorium, if you have never made a decision for Jesus and said, yes, I want you to change my life. I want, you, I want to experience what we are talking about today. I want to experience that kind of ongoing teaching that can transform my life. I want to experience what it means to have a life that is filled with peace and, and a life that has purpose. And if you have never said yes to Jesus, then can I encourage you this morning, before you leave, would you just now, in this moment, would you just look at me, raise your hand and say, yes, that's me, and I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you, but I just want to know who I'm going to be praying for. Is there anyone in this auditorium today? My sister on the right, I see you there. Anyone else? Yes, I see you at the back there. I see you, my sister. Yes, I see you too. Thank you. I see you, says. Thank you. Anyone else? I don't want to rush this time because I think it is so vitally important. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for all those who have raised their hands this morning. I know that their desire, desire is to have a relationship with you. And I pray that you will move in their hearts to create a, a, a space that is open to you and to, your, to the Word of God. That as they begin to allow the Spirit of God to come into their lives and this knowledge and understanding of Jesus and the fact that He is a Savior who died for each one of our sins, that He can come in and take residence in our hearts and live in us and bring change to our lives and to our future. Give us hope. I pray, Heavenly Father, for each one of these sisters and anyone else who has raised their hands today, Father, 
that you will move in their hearts to create father a space that is open to you and that they will live their lives under your authority and under your teaching from now on lord we thank you for the blood of jesus shed on the cross of calvary for each of us and particularly this morning for those who have raised their hands for them knowing that that blood was shed for the forgiveness of their sins and so that they might come into relationship with god the father hallelujah i do also pray want to pray for all of us in this place as well that we will make a commitment a commitment to a lifestyle of learning a lifestyle of being teachable a lifestyle of wanting to grow deeper in our relationship with jesus knowing that we have this incredible teacher available to us to teach us and help us grow so father i pray that we will not leave this place without having made that commitment lord and i pray that you will bless the commitment heavenly father i thank you again for your ministry to us this morning and i thank you that as we go you will continue to bless and keep us until we meet again in jesus name we pray amen amen <laughs>